Luke chapter 16, and in a few moments, we're going to be reading from verses 1 through 13. I want to talk to you about leveraging for kingdom purposes. Leveraging for kingdom purposes. Most of us are familiar with the term leverage. By using it to our advantage, we're able to accomplish more with less effort. There's a mechanical advantage or power gained by using a lever. How many of you ever tried to pull a nail out of a piece of wood? It's hard to pull a nail out of a piece of wood. You can grab a hold of it with your hand and pull as hard as you want, but if it's nailed in there, it only has to be in a couple inches, and it almost feels impossible. You can try and move it back and forth. But what's incredible is whenever you get a hammer and just simply use the lever action, just pull it back, how easily work is accomplished. There's one example of leverage. On the playground, when you're growing up, what toy on the playground reminds us of the power of leverage or shows us the power of leverage? Seesaw. Yep, a seesaw. Children learn about leverage through playing on a seesaw. In finances, it's called leveraging when you borrow money to speculate in a business investment with the expectations of earning a substantial profit. A few years ago, people were doing this with real estate. They would buy their first house. They would use the money from that house, the equity from that house to buy another house and another house and another house. Today, we're going to talk about another type of leverage. It's the power to influence people, events, or things. And we're going to take a look at two people in the Bible who used leverage. One for selfish purposes. They were kind of acknowledged for that. And another for less selfish purposes of helping God's people. The first story is a man who used his position to make things better for himself in his future. Now, to be honest with you, most of us probably wouldn't like this guy. He's a weasel. How many of you like Weasley people? Now, if we're honest, unless you are one, you don't necessarily like weasels, okay? He's one of these guys who's always going to be having an angle that he works at. He's always going to be taking advantage of people. He's going to be selfish and self-centered. You couldn't trust him. But Jesus tells us that there's something that we can learn from this guy. So let's read about him. Luke chapter 16, starting at verse 1. Jesus told his disciples, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him and asked him, What is it I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you can't be my manager any longer. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master's taken away my job. He's a weasel. I'm not strong enough to dig. What he's saying is I'm too lazy to work. I'm losing my job. I'm too lazy to work. And I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do. So that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each of his master's debtors and he asked the first, How much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager replied, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 400. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat. Take your bill and make it 800. Now Jesus tells this parable of the unjust manager to teach his disciples that they were to use what they had for kingdom purposes. In the parable, there was a rich man. 
He was wealthy. And he called his manager in to give account of his dealings. The rich man had heard that the manager had handled his finances unwisely. In Jesus' days, managers were hired by wealthy people to care for their finances or to oversee their estate. He'd be kind of like a modern-day financial planner or a trustee who controls the financial assets of an estate for the purpose of making more money for that estate. The money did not belong to the manager. And you know what you and I have? If we know the truth, it really doesn't belong to us. This manager had been entrusted with it. Apparently, the manager was wasting the goods, kind of like the prodigal son wasted his father's goods. At the beginning of the parable, the owner didn't see the manager as a dishonest person. He was just kind of a wasteful, unwise, irresponsible person. The owner couldn't put up with it, so he fired this manager. But then in order to make friends who might later take care of him, in order to make his life easier in the future so that he had something to fall back upon, the ex-manager calls in the rich man's debtors. And he says to him, what does my boss owe you? What do you owe my boss? And they said, well, you know, I owe him this many gallons of olive oil. And he's like, let's change that. I'm giving you a discount today. How much wheat do you owe my boss? And he says, like, you know, a thousand bushels. They say, okay, let's change that. Let's make that 800. Now, what we have to keep in mind is this. When we think of 100 gallons or 800 gallons of olive oil, for us, we're thinking of Costco, right? We think of a distribution center. And we think we go in and you just buy a truckload. Now, what we have to understand in that day, in that time, that was a huge amount of money. Can you imagine how much work it is to go out and pick by hand enough olives and then to press them to catch hundreds of gallons of olive oil? And when we think of wheat, you know, we think of like some big tractor or some big combine driving down the rows of nicely planted wheat and this combine picking the wheat and it going into a big truck. These people went out by hand and cut this wheat. And they didn't have all the fertilizers and all the equipment and all the technology that we have today. So this was a huge amount of money this man gave away. When the rich man heard what he'd done, this is the crazy part. When the rich man heard what he did, he commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. The dishonest manager had not done a good thing, but he had been careful to plan ahead. He was using material things to secure a future for himself. Now, Jesus was not teaching that his disciples should be dishonest. That's not what he was saying. He wasn't saying you should lie and you should cheat. And you should connive. He was teaching them that they should use material things for future spiritual benefits. That they should leverage what they have now for the future. This was a good lesson that he was teaching them from a bad example. Now, if we go back to our text, we pick up at verse 8. It says, the master commended a dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. What kind of dwellings? Eternal dwellings. 
Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling, listen to this, worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No servant can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. Now, after telling the parable, Jesus gives this application. He tells the parable, and then he tells him, how does this apply to your day-to-day life? The first thing that we see is that we're to use resources to win people. We're to use money. We're to use what we have to touch other people's lives. Jesus said this. He said, the people of the world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. He says, you got a lot to learn from worldly people. He's saying, disciples, my followers, you got a lot that you can learn from these people. Here Jesus said his disciples, apart from the dishonest manager, the dishonest manager was a person of this world. And he was seeking a way to make his life better in the here and now. The disciples, the people of light, should act in a shrewd manner as well. They should be wise, not dishonest, they should be wise. They should watch what this dishonest, sneaky, weasley manager did, and they should learn from him. Jesus was teaching that the people of the light should use worldly wealth for eternal purposes. You don't just store it up or become a servant to it. Money is to be a servant to you. Money is a great servant, but it makes a horrible master. Here's one of the funny things. Sometimes people say, yeah, you know, they'll think that they're quoting the Bible. You know, money is the root of all evil. Money is not the root of all evil. They're misquoting scripture, the love of money. Money is a great, it's a great servant whenever you need to pay your electric bill. I mean, it's awesome. You send it and it goes. Money is a great servant whenever you need to buy diapers for your kids. You send it and it goes and does what you tell it to. Money is a great servant whenever it comes that you want to help someone who's sick or someone who's poor or someone who's needy. You tell it what to do and it goes and does it. Money is a great servant when it comes to furthering the kingdom of God. You send it, it accomplishes what it's sent to do. But money's a horrible master. It's terrible for money to be the one telling you what to do. The same reason the dishonest manager used a rich man's wealth, the disciple was to use wealth to gain friends. The disciples, the Bible said, would then be welcomed into eternal dwellings. The disciples' wise use of wealth would lead others to believe the message of the kingdom and would bring them to accept the message. The second principle that he applies here is this. He says, if you're faithful in handling worldly wealth, you can be trusted with greater things. So he's telling them, he says to his disciples, you see this guy who he made his future better? He did wrong things, but he prepared for his future by using what he had now for a time that was coming. The second thing that he says to him is he says, if you're faithful with worldly wealth, you'll be entrusted with greater things. Look at verse 10. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Sometimes a boss, a parent, 
someone in authority at times will give you, they'll try you out and they're going to see how's your attitude. They're going to see, are you going to do your job and have a smile? Or are you going to be grumbling and growling on the job? You don't just, you get a new employee. You don't just give them everything that they want at that time. You don't just say, oh, well, hey, take the company and run with it. You give them a little bit of freedom there. You give them a little bit of room and, and see how they, a little bit of responsibility and you see how they do. And when they're faithful with what they've been given, then you give them more. But oftentimes people, because they don't get their way at the very beginning, they get an attitude and they grumble and complain. And then they wonder why they never can keep a job. They wonder why they never get more freedom or more liberty or better pay. And the reality of it is, is if we're not faithful with little, we're never going to have much. And that's what Jesus is teaching here. If you can't be trusted to handle worldly wealth, who in their right mind is going to trust you with things of true value? You know, there's true spiritual riches of the kingdom that we're to be partakers of. But for that to happen, you and I need to prove ourselves to be faithful. There's true riches of the kingdom that God has in store for us. But for you to experience it, for that to happen, you and I must be faithful in the little things that God gives us. I'm hesitant to say, thus says the Lord. But as I was preparing this message, I really sensed that there were some people who were going to hear this message. They've been asking God to entrust them with true spiritual riches. Maybe you long to be used by God and even have specific ways that you sense that God wants to bless or God wants to use you, but it's not happened yet. The reason for that is because there's some people, and this is not everybody, but I guarantee you that there's someone who's either in the first service or second service or someone who listens to this message on the internet or someone who gets a CD of this message. There's at least one person who the reason why you have not been able to get over the other side yet is because you keep failing the test of worldly wealth. I have a word from the Lord for you. There's some who can't see the correlation between the two. I don't know why God just doesn't give me what I want. I don't know why God just doesn't do what I want. I've been praying. I don't know why he just doesn't answer me. Give me my ministry or open this door for me or work this way. Until you pass this test, you will not move on. Until you pass this test, you're going to keep going around in circles. In the military, when they're in basic training, Greg was a drill instructor during the Vietnam era. And one of the things that they would do is if guys weren't doing what they were supposed to do, if they weren't giving it their best, they'd recycle them. You know what that means? That means you've gone through your eight weeks of basic training or however many weeks it was, and you come to the end and all the other guys are saying, yes, we get to graduate. Mom's going to come and see me and we're going to get out of this horrible place. And they say, no, you got to go back through and you got to go back through and you got to do it all again. Or you may have to do six weeks or five weeks of that training again. And the reality of it is this. There's some of us who you keep getting recycled. God's already spoken to you. You know what you're supposed to do, but you keep coming to this test and you keep failing this test until you pass the test. You don't move on. I know in our schools today, everybody's a winner. Let's just be honest. Some of us are dumb. Can we be honest? Some of us are dumb. Some of us are hard headed. Some of us make really poor choices 
And we shouldn't be rewarded for poor choices. It's not doing someone a favor when you're not doing the right thing to keep letting them pass through. And in the military during the Vietnam era, if you pass them through, a lot of times those guys end up dead. And so they need to get what they need to learn to keep them alive. And in the spiritual realm, for you to be able to move forward with God, you need to pass the test. There's at least one person who's hearing this message who the test is, it's this test of worldly wealth. They want the things of this world more than they want the things of God. They're poor handlers of wealth. God entrusts things to them and they're saying, well, I'm going to keep it all to myself. And they're being selfish and self-centered and not acknowledging God. And then they're saying, God, give me the riches of the kingdom. And they can't figure out why it's not happening. And so if you're not faithful with a little, you won't be faithful down the road. The third thing that he says there. He says, you can't serve both God and money. The third application Jesus drew from the parable was that a person, as I said, can't have two masters. Two masters are mutually exclusive. Love for money will drive one away from God. Conversely, loving God will cause one not to make money his primary concern in life. So we go through this message and we have this guy who steals from his boss for the purpose of making his life easier on himself. And he's commended for thinking ahead. Now, I know this. I know that God doesn't want me to cheat or steal from my boss, but he does want me to learn from this man. He wants me to think ahead about how I can leverage, there's that word again, how I can leverage my resources, my abilities, and my relationships for the good of his kingdom. An example of this is found in another example in scripture, Queen Esther. Remember Queen Esther, she is the one who used her position for the good of God's people. And you know the story if you've been around any length of time. Queen Esther, the king's other main queen, kind of disrespected him. And so he goes looking all over and finds this beautiful woman named Esther. And he didn't know it, but she was from a Jewish background. And he makes her his queen. Haman decides that he's going to kill the Jewish people. Mordecai, who's in essence Esther's uncle, finds out about it. He sends words to her, but she says, you know, Mordecai, (laughs) I can't just go to the king at any time. You know, it's kind of like it is in most of your houses. You got to know the right time to approach the king, right ladies? (laughs) I'm teasing. It wasn't just any time that she could go in and see the king. If she went in without the king's approval, people would be killed for just presuming and going into the king's presence. So to do so would risk her life. And in Esther chapter 4 verse 12, she reports that back to Mordecai. And when Esther's words, Esther 4.12, when Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Don't you think, because you're in the king's house... You alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent in this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. This is what she says to Mordecai. She's like, Mordecai, I don't know about going in. You know, I'm doing pretty good here. Haman and the king don't know who I am. Why don't I just keep my mouth shut? Why don't I not rock the boat? Mordecai's like, God's going to raise up a deliverer. He's going to bring deliverance. But perhaps, 
God puts you in this position for such a time as this. Maybe God has another plan for your life, Esther, other than you to lay around and have your feet and nails done all day. That's what her life was. She went through months of beauty treatment, soaking her in all these oils and all this kind of stuff and making her smell good and all this stuff. Maybe God had a bigger plan for her life. And can I say this to you? Maybe God had a bigger plan for your life. And most of you would sit here and you'd say, well, my life's not been sitting around soaking my feet in oil and people doing my nails all day. My life's been hard. But maybe God has a redemptive plan for your life to redeem even the junk and the garbage and turn that around and do something great for his kingdom as a result of that. When I was in Israel last summer, we went to a place called Yad Vashem. This is the nation of Israel official memorial to the victims of the Holocaust. As the guide leads you through this memorial, you see the relics. You view film footages and you have a room full of pictures of faces of children and men and women who died as a result of the Holocaust. You listen and you hear recordings of Hitler's speeches and other people's speeches. And while you were there, they told us about a group of people known as the righteous among the nation. The righteous among the nation. And I was thinking that's kind of what, when you think about it, that's what we should be called, shouldn't we? They called them the righteous among the nations. And who were these people? They actually have a garden built in Yad Vashem in recognition in the names of these people who've been added to this list. There's thousands of them. Their names have been added to this list. They are the righteous of the nations. And when you walk through, you can read their names. And some of you are probably one of the most popular ones. These were non-Jews who risked their lives. They risked their liberty. They used their positions to save Jewish people during the time of the Holocaust. Probably the most popular one that most of us in the United States would know of. Do you know who it would be? Oscar Schindler. Made popular in 1993 by Steven Spielberg's movie Schindler's List. Oscar Schindler was a wealthy business owner who saved about, I believe it was about 1,100 Jewish lives. And he would bribe certain people to keep his Jewish workers alive and working in his factory. And whenever we show movies, there's stuff in there, there's violence, and I'm not promoting it. I know this last segment of this movie, you can go ahead and start it. This last segment of this movie is Schindler, and he's speaking about how he felt at the end here. That's a really moving thought. He saved 1,100 people. But as he looks at him, he says, I could have saved 10 people with this car. This pin, this pin that I'm wearing on my shirt, I could have saved two more people's lives with that. The message that Jesus is teaching through this parable is this. A wise man, a wise woman, is going to leverage everything that they have For the purposes of the kingdom of God. A wise person. You know, there's going to be a day when each of us stand before God. At the judgment seat of Christ. And he's going to say, what did I give to you? And what did you do with it? And you will have to. Listen, you will absolutely have to. Stand before God, even if you've, if you've been forgiven of your sins. You will stand before God and you will give an account of what you've done with what God has given you. 
And some of you say, well, Pastor, I've had a horrible life. Then leverage that horrible life for the good of the kingdom. Pastor, I've made some stupid mistakes. Then leverage those stupid mistakes for the good of the kingdom. Some of you may say, Pastor, I don't have much. All I have, I don't have the position that you have. I don't have the resources that someone else has. You may say, all I got is a beat up minivan. I have a hard time paying my bills. Only thing I got is a beat up minivan. Let me tell you what, then leverage that beat up minivan for the good of the kingdom. When you come to church on Wednesday night, pick up some of those kids from the neighborhood whose parents don't have time for them. Some of those teenagers who most people blow them off and you take a little bit of time and you put them in the back of that old beat up minivan and that minivan becomes sanctified. That minivan becomes set apart. That minivan is leveraged for the kingdom of God. Some of you may teach. You may be a teacher in the school or you might be a coach for softball and you say, pastor, I can't speak in front of the crowds. You're in a position that God has given you to teach young teenage boys or children how to play t-ball. And it's incredible what influence you have, the things that you can teach just as you're throwing a ball. It's incredible the opportunities that God gives you if you'll leverage that position that you are placed in for his kingdom. I was thinking about grandparents. Grandparents are in a unique position to influence those grandchildren for the kingdom of God. Whatever position God has placed you in, what's incredible is it's just really neat Whenever you see that just the position that you're in, you can use leverage for your benefit. It's incredible. You see these mixed martial artists and watching them, they're in a certain position and they know what to do so that they can gain leverage or a wrestler. They know what they can do so that they can gain leverage and get the upper hand as it were. And the same reality is you and I, no matter what position we are in, there's an opportunity to use the resources The relationships, the gifts, the abilities, the anointing, the calling that's upon our lives and leverage it for the purposes of God's kingdom. Some people say, well, if I had a platform like you, pastor, I would really use. Well, you know what? You have a platform that only you have. And maybe your platform is the mistakes that you've made. Maybe your platform is something that you're not proud of. Maybe your platform is testimony of these were the choices I made and this is what's cost me. But you are in a unique position that you can leverage what God has given you for the purposes of his kingdom. Here's the reality. The person who does that is wise. The person who uses their energy, their time, their talents, their abilities, their relationships, their skills... You know what I hope for you? I hope that for Lighthouse, that we will be people who will... See, this is what he was saying about this unjust manager. He says, I want you to be like this guy. Pastor, I think he's a weasel. I don't agree with him. I want you to be like this guy. Well, how does God want me to be like this guy? Because he leveraged what he had for his future. And we're to leverage what we have for other people's eternal future. So that you may be, well, let me read the verse to you. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Hmm. What has God given you? Ah, Pastor, I don't know if God's given me that much. 
You might be surprised what's God given you. In the first service, I talked about people who maybe you're a caregiver. Maybe you're a nurse and you work in the hospital or, or you work in a retirement home. Use that leverage. You leverage that position because God's placed you there at this specific moment, at this specific time, because you have a message that that person needs to hear. For our teenagers, they need to leverage their position. That God's placed them in that school at this strategic moment, at this strategic time, and he's given them a message that they can share. Now, the reality of it is this. When you and I leverage what we have, it's really cool. The hammer... You can try all day to try to pull that nail out by your hand. You'll be pulling. What's really cool is when you hook the, this underneath it and you start just pulling, how easily that thing comes out that seems so impossible. And you and I can reach people that other people can't reach in an easy way because where God has placed us and what he's given us. You may not know exactly what that is. There's guys in the construction industry that Harley will be able to reach. I'll never be able to talk to leverage his position. Ernie's got customers. He'll be able to minister to and touch. I'll never be able to touch them because God's given him that position. He's given him that place. Sam, people, employees in the company. What has God given you? What you're going to give an account for at the end of your life. At the end of your life, God's going to say to you, what did I give you? Oh, pastor, all I had, you didn't give me much. All I had was a, a beat up minivan. Wow. You didn't realize that I'd sanctified that minivan and I had generations of lives that were going to be changed because you used your beat up minivan to take kids to church. You didn't realize that, but you're going to give an account and you will be accountable for what God has called you to do before time. Here's the reality. God called you before time, before you were ever born. Before your mama was born, before there was ever a thought about you, God had plans for you. His thoughts about you are innumerable. You can't even number the thoughts that God has concerning you. His purpose and his plans for you. And now the question is, are you going to leverage what he gave you? I hope that for Lighthouse, that there's going to be a bunch who are like considered the righteous among the nations. That Jan takes the place where she lives and she leverages that. For the glory of God. That whatever God has placed you, whatever he's given you, whatever he's put in your hand, that you use that for his purposes and you accomplish what he wants you to do. Because this life's not about you. It's about touching other people's lives. It's about seeing other people redeemed. Even the negative things. Don't waste them. Because you can leverage them. You can leverage your mistakes. You can leverage your faults. You can leverage your inadequacies. Isn't that crazy? You can even use your inadequacies and your weaknesses. You can leverage them for the glory of God. There's not one of you. There's not one person in here who's not in a position to leverage whatever God has given you. There's not one person here who's not in a position where you can leverage what God has placed in your hand, what he's given to you, the gifts he's given you, your experiences in life. There's not one of us that are not in a place where we can leverage what we've experienced or gone through and cause incredible things to take place in the kingdom of God. And ultimately, the person who does that is wise. Who knows? Maybe God's called you to the kingdom for such a time as this, this very moment. 
oh no, it's just by chance I'm here. I, 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 you just have me here because it's just the, the things, it's just the way it is. I'm just at a bad time in my life. No, God has called you to the kingdom for such a time as this. And the question is, are you willing to use what, even the painful and difficult things that you've gone through for his glory? Are you going to allow them to be wasted? Are you going to stand before him in weeping and sorrow and suffer great loss? Are you going to stand there and smile and look and see the lives that have been changed because of what you've done? So, Father God, I pray. I pray over this congregation. I ask you, Lord, that we would be wise in the way that we handle what you entrust us with. Thanks for their patience today. But, Lord, I just pray that people will be able to hear that message and we'd be able to respond to you in such a way that we honor you. Lord, that we use our minivans, we use our jobs, we use our mistakes, we use our finances, we use whatever we can to reach people and to serve other people and to see your kingdom advanced. And we'll thank you and praise you for that in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. We love you.